our scriptures today. First, a reminder from our series out of Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. And for today's scripture out of Romans chapter 12, we read verses 9 through 21. Hear now the continued words of Paul. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never arrange yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. The famous and luxurious Biltmore House is found in Asheville, North Carolina. Perhaps some of you have been there and have seen it and toured it. There are a good bunch of you. Good. It was originally owned and managed, of course, by George and Edith Vanderbilt, an elegant couple known for their exceptional treatment of rich and wealthy, famous guests. But today, when people summarize the Vanderbilt's management of the Biltmore House, they don't just retell the stories of how they treated their guests, but also point to a single story of how one day George Vanderbilt treated a young employee of the Biltmore whose name was Bessie Smith. An article about the Vanderbilts described the following scene. Smith was a teenager when she began working at the Biltmore and she was intimidated by its opulence. I don't know who wouldn't be, right? On her first day as a server, she walked into the house grand banquet hall and startled by the vastness of the room, dropped the tray of monogrammed china that she was carrying. 
George Vanderbilt, a very professional figure with dark hair and a slightly curved mustache. I thought about trying that, but my wife said no. He rose from his chair as his guests all looked on because the banquet room was filled. And with their eyes begging, what on earth are you going to do? And what are you going to say about this distraction? But he didn't say anything. Instead, he walked over to the young teenage girl who was already cleaning up on her hands and knees. And he got down on his hands and knees and helped her pick up the shards of glass and whispered in her ear, Come see me in the morning. Did y'all hear that? Come see me in the morning. (laughs) Come see me in the morning. I don't know about you, but, but when your boss says, come see me in the morning, that sends goosebumps all the way down your spine, the good kind and the bad kind. And you can tell the difference, right? <laughs> Bessie assumed that she was going to be fired, but instead, when she went and saw George Vanderbilt the next morning, he promoted Bessie. He promoted her to chambermaid. And he said, I'm promoting you so that way you won't have to carry such a heavy load. The story reminds me of another instance when we as humans could have just as easily been told, you're fired. But instead, we, we simply had our sins defeated so that we too wouldn't have to carry a heavy load. Today we will talk about the fruit of the Spirit that is kindness and goodness. We continue a worship series we started and been going through over the summer on the fruit of the Spirit. And as a reminder that we define the fruit of the Spirit as those actions which show presence, which show evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. They are the actions that other people should witness in our daily living if we are to live a life directed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When someone asks you, where should I start in living my life for Jesus? The fruit of the Spirit is a great beginning point. Today we're going to ask and answer the question, does killing them with kindness really work? Killing them with kindness really works. Have you ever heard that saying before? It comes from an old English proverb of the mid-1500s. The ape kills her young with kindness. It also has found uh, its place in different publications over the years, notably in Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, where he says... And if she chance to nod, I'll rail and brawl. And with the clamor, keep her still awake. This is a way to kill a wife with kindness. There are other possibilities of where it may have come from in a more modern era. 
But it also speaks to not only our scripture today, but it, it, it has perhaps a taste in the Proverbs as well. Listen to Proverbs chapter 25, 21 and 22. It ties more with our scripture today, but you'll get the gist. If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. And if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on their heads and the Lord will reward you. Sound a little bit like Paul's words we just read. The idea of carrying or heaping coals on someone's head, uh, did, did that stand out to you too? I was thinking, where did this come from? This is just placed in here and I have no idea why in the world we're talking about coals in people's heads. Um, well, here, here's where it comes from. It's based on an old Egyptian tradition of carrying coals on the top of one's head as an intentional sign of penitence. When you did something wrong, the punishment for in, in some old tradition, uh, Egyptian ways, was to walk around the, the settlement or the city with a heap of coals on your head. It also has basis in the idea of sharing with your neighbor. Okay, It, it was believed that when a, a family was out of hot coals in their furnace that they would carry large trays on their heads to go next door to ask for borrow, to borrow some coals. They didn't just have a match they could strike that they picked up at Ace Hardware down the road. The family being asked then would have to decide whether or not they were willing to part with some of their coals. The question then becomes, is this one family willing to sacrifice for the other? Are you with me this morning? This idea of sacrificing for one another is the basis on which our faith was born. God made the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord and that was for all people. All God asked us to do in return is simply to replicate and duplicate this love with all the people that we meet. When we put that love of God in our hearts, then we are also putting the goodness of God in our hearts. That is what we are called to carry in our daily living. Not heaps of coals, not fine china that weighs us down, but we are called to carry the goodness of God in our daily living. There was a woman uh, who always wore a, a tiny cross pin on her shirts uh, because she says this was an inexpensive way for me to bear witness to my faith. And she says that she, I'd purchase a dozen or so at a time and I'd give them as a gift. She said she became known for her tiny cross pins. And one day she went into a 7-Eleven convenience store and the female clerk 
uh, complimented her on her cross pin. Instinctively, she took it off and offered it to her, as she typically does. For several moments, the lady, the clerk, tried to refuse it, finally reluctantly accepting, uh, receiving the small gift and, and thanking her for it and tucking it away in her pocket. Years went by, and the woman tells the story. I'd almost forgotten about the 7-Eleven clerk. After church one week, a woman stopped me in the lobby, and she just said, I need to, to thank you. As she trembled in her voice, she says, you probably don't remember me, but years ago you gave me this. And she pulled out that little cross pen. She re when you offered me this cross, she said, my life, couldn't have, my life couldn't have been any worse. I didn't feel worthy of such a generous gift, but God showed me he still loved me. My life is different today because of what you did for me. Folks, well, what she did was almost nothing. But to that lady, it meant everything. Folks, sometimes what we can do for someone else may seem like nothing to us. But to someone else, it may be everything kindness and, and goodness or more of these ambiguous English words that stem from multiple different Greek words in the Bible and I won't go through all of them I promise because there's 39 different Greek words used for the idea of good and there's 24 Greek words used for the ideal of kindness some of which are used interchangeably for one another. In the New Testament, many words describe the specific characteristics and behaviors of, quote, good people, including uh, just, righteous, holy, pure, kind, good. It, it, so if goodness is the general term, these other specific terms then show what goodness means in daily living. Are you with me on that? It's, if goodness is the, the general term, then all of these other definitions and terms show what goodness means in our daily living. Goodness is how we behave, excuse me, kindness is how we behave when goodness is what is in our heart. Kindness is how we behave when goodness is what is in our hearts. These are the, are the byproducts of being in a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. Kindness defines the works we do as a result of the good in our hearts. The good in our hearts is a result of our faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ is a result of our love for God. And we can love God because God first loved us. Now are you with me? <laughs> we have the opportunity to accept that love and replace the sin of this world with goodness. We can be good because God is good. 
our behavior is a visible sign of who we are and what we put on the inside. This behavior should reflect that love of Christ for all people. Paul says when someone hurts us deeply, instead of giving them what we feel they deserve, which is what we want to do half the time, right? (laughs) That we should love them that much more. We should forgive because forgiveness breaks the cycle of revenge and the cycle of retaliation and replaces it with reconciliation. We should respond to hurt not by causing more harm, but by replacing it with kindness. And authentic kindness goes beyond just simply being polite. Sincere kindness because of the goodness of God in our hearts requires a little bit of concentration and effort and some intentionality. It means helping others become better people. It insists on personal resources and and personal involvements. True kindness because of the true goodness in our hearts requires a true and an authentic love that can't be faked and it cannot be forged. It comes only by way of the Holy Spirit because it is part of who God is. God is love. Go down the list and we get to God is good. God is kindness. Folks, listen to this. If it is part of God's identity, it can be part of our identity as well. Goodness and kindness involves not only uh, right behavior and, and a good, authentic heart. It also means keeping evil out. This is probably the most difficult part, right? (laughs) It is our human instinct to treat others how they treated us instead of how we want them to treat us. And let me testify, there's a big difference. Amen? When we do something to someone else because they did it to us, then we are paying evil back with evil. And that hurts us just as much, if not more so, than it hurts our enemies. Our society has corrupted the idea of how we are supposed to treat one another by letting actions define actions instead of letting goodness define actions folks and this has been prevalent on the news lately which is very disturbing we are living in a shoot first ask questions later world mentality when we are called to forgive first and love always kindness because of the goodness in our hearts requires an extra effort that unfortunately not everyone is always willing to make. It isn't the natural 
reaction. Therefore, when kindness and goodness is shown over revenge, it causes the other person to stop in their tracks and to think a little bit, does it not? Have you ever responded to hate with goodness and the person literally stopped in their tracks and backed up because they didn't know what to do with you? (laughs) I've been there. Try it sometime. It may make those who hurt us feel ashamed and, and, and change their ways. But, but still others just get full of themselves and think of kindness as a surrender. Right? Therefore, making them the winners. But I hate to break it to them, folks. The real winner in those situations is the triumph of good over evil. The real winners are those who defeat evil with kindness and goodness instead of stooping to the level of battling evil for evil. Yes, folks, the answer to our question, killing them with kindness, it works. It works every time when we decide to combat a bad deed with kindness instead. It works when we choose to love those who hurt us instead of spreading the hate. It works when the kindness and goodness that defines God also defines us. Do not give into the desire, dear friends, to take revenge or to retaliate with evil, but act in a positive way. To hate evil is to conquer it by doing good. To hate evil means to conquer it by doing good. Folks, when when we hang on to dear life, to those things that are good, and to those things that are of God, we will be overcoming evil. All of this will be accomplished to the degree that we allow God to create in us a sincere, authentic love. When kindness is what makes us, or excuse me, (laughs) reverse it again. When goodness is what makes us, then kindness is what defines our actions. When the goodness of God, which is good, is what makes us, then kindness is what defines us. There was a man driving down the road and Behind him came racing up this vehicle. And you know what that vehicle sounds like on the interstate when it comes racing up behind you? I won't make you do the noise, I promise. But it came racing up behind him and it got right on his tail and it started honking and flashing its lights and trying to get by the man. I don't know about you, but when someone comes up behind me flashing and honking, if I'm in the left lane, I'm probably in the process of passing somebody because that's what the left lane is for, for passing, not for traveling. Amen? (laughs) If I'm in the left lane, that's probably what I'm doing. And when someone comes up behind me flashing and honking, I'm usually one to stay in the left lane and make them go around me. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I would expect myself to go around, so I expect them to go around too. Amen? <laughs> okay, back, back, back to the story. So the, the man was, was weaving in and out of traffic until he passed 
everybody that he could and zoomed and cut in and out. A few miles later, after the guy passed the man in our story, the man spotted the car on the side of the road with a flat tire. And as the man passed, his thoughts led him to laugh at the man and say things like, serves him right for the way he was driving. Anybody ever pass that person on the side of the road, especially the ones that the cops get, and say, na-na-na-na-na-na. But as soon as he went past, it, he immediately felt the urge to stop and to go back to the man. So he did. He helped the man change his tire, and the man said to him, I am so blessed and thankful that you are willing to stop and help me today. You see, my father is on his deathbed, and I'm headed to see him. My family says he won't last much longer. I haven't spoken to him in 10 years, and I am in a hurry so that I can tell him I'm sorry before he dies. Folks, this isn't a story or a message about feeling guilty or about guilting you into stopping for everybody you see on the side of the road. When Christ speaks and nudges us, do we listen to the urge and stop too? Or are we too busy paying evil with evil? just may be the one bringing the cross to someone in their greatest moment of need. To you, a small gesture may mean nothing, but to someone else, it may change their world. There's no better way to be an example of Christ than to bring Christ to someone who needs it the most. And you never know when someone needs Christ the most. What does it look like for us individually to start thinking in terms of killing them with kindness as opposed to sneering and jeering as we pass by? What would it look like if we as the church committed to the all the time goodness that we proclaim that God is every Sunday morning. How would our world change if every church's focus was on kindness because of the goodness that God is and places in our hearts? This is the gospel message today. Does killing them with kindness work? It works every time because God is at the center of goodness and kindness. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.
closing hymn and a hymn of invitation is I love to tell the 